It is my pleasure to welcome up uh, Mark Van Andel, who will be giving the sermon today, bringing God's word to us. Uh, Mark and his wife Kristen have lived in the Detroit for over 15 years now. They have three teenage sons. Um, his wife Kristen works at Charlotte Mason as a kindergarten teacher, and Mark works with a a church called Hasid Community Church, starting house-based churches in various Detroit locations with kind of a long-term vision of discipling um, leaders who would grow together to form a congregational church. Um, he is passionate about racial justice, discipleship, and Christian community development, and has served in a variety of roles um, in his time in Detroit. And it's, we are just blessed to have him here. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Good to worship with you today. Good to be here with you and um, bless God for the chance to worship him again today. Um, as we mentioned earlier, my heart has been heavy for the people of Afghanistan and that situation there, people who are being exiled from their homes um, in fear of violence, retribution, and obviously this is not only happening in Afghanistan, this is happening in other situations around the world, and um, it just brings up the sensitivity to that, and it's not new to our history either. Obviously, we have history in our country and around the world of exiles of people who are being barred from their own native country, um, typically for political or punitive measures, um, and forced to live someplace that is not their home. Obviously, we have a history of slavery uh, in our country, we have the Trail of Tears, we have historical precedents here. But again, this is common throughout all of history, and even in biblical history, being exiles is not uncommon. So Abraham was not forced out by some sense of uh, political persuasion, but Abraham was called by God, he and Sarah, to move to a different country that was not their home. And we have the example of Moses, who, uh, after he killed the Egyptian man who was abusing the Israelite man, the Hebrew man, Moses was forced to leave the country in fear of his own life uh, for ex executing his own personal justice. So we've got these examples through the Bible, and I think that it's helpful for us to think about this idea of being exiles, the people of God being exiles um, in the past, but also today. Um, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to be jumping around through the scriptures, so you don't. Uh, we're going to be primarily in Daniel chapter 1, if so, so if you want to start turning to Daniel chapter 1, that's fine. But I'm going to start in Hebrews just to ex explain this idea of exile. Hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16 says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. He's talking about Abraham, Sarah, these people that were forerunners of the faith. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So there's that word. They're, they're acknowledging that they're strangers and exiles here on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them prepared for them a city. So the idea that the writer of Hebrews is saying here is the people of God who were being faithful to God knew that they were living in a land that was not their own. 
They were living in a land that was not their own. They were thinking about a heavenly country, about a heavenly home that was more where their heart truly belonged. And so I think it's helpful for us to retrace the steps of the saints and think through how can we consider ourselves exiles. And I'd like to look at that today from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles open there, um, I'm going to start reading and I'm going to kind of go back and forth between reading and making some commentary as we go through it. So Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. All right, so we've got a historical event here happening. The Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, comes to Judah and he comes and uh, captures Judah, conquers Judah. And as he does this, um, he takes these ceremonial vessels from the temple and brings them and puts them in the temple of his God so that they can be used in service to his God in Babylon. And the people of Israel, this wasn't a surprise to them because the prophet Jeremiah had been saying, you're going to go into exile, you're going to go into exile, you're going to go into exile. So they shouldn't have been surprised at this, but the people of Judah had disobeyed God's laws. They hadn't kept his covenant-keeping promises. They hadn't uh, observed the Sabbath years. They had participated in idolatry. And so here God allows them to be turned over to the Babylonians. Now, the challenge with this is the Babylonians... It was almost as if by taking those things out of the temple and putting them in their own temple, they were saying, our God is better than your God, and if your God was better than our God, you wouldn't have been allowed us to capture you. So the people of Israel are not only facing being exiled out of their place, but their, God, their belief in God, their faith in God was being shaken to the core because they were being captured and brought into exile. So that's the situation happening here. Verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. All right? So the situation, again, you've got these young men, the best and brightest of Judah, and they get captured, and they get conscripted into the kingdom of the Babylonians, and they're asked then to be trained um, in, and assimilated into the culture of Babylon. They're going to be taught the, the language, the, the culture, the teachings, Essentially, they're being discipled for three years into the ways of the Babylonians. And uh, they were also most likely forced to be eunuchs in this process. And uh, that doesn't sound very comfortable to me. Children, you can ask your parents about what does it mean to be a eunuch later on uh, for an interesting lunchtime conversation. But uh, then after those three years, they would be tested in front of the king to see if they had properly embraced and adapted the ways of the Babylonians. Are you properly discipled in the ways of Babylon? We're going to train you to see if you can be trusted to lead our country now because we've snatched you out of your country. So that's the situation happening with these young, young people, mainly men from uh, Judah. 
Verse 6, Daniel 1, verse 6. Among these young men were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. All right? So these are the names. This is the first step of the assimilation process is we're going to give you good new names, okay? They get official empire or govern, government names, and these are the names that they gave them. So let me retrace this and explain, because all of these names of the, the Hebrew names, they all have meaning, okay? So Daniel's name in the original Hebrew means God is my judge. God is my judge, okay? Maybe that's where Tupac got it from, but that's a whole other story, okay? So God is my judge. Hananiah his name is the Lord shows grace. The Lord shows grace. Mishael means who is what God is. Who is what God is. It's like this, uh, God, our God is great. Who is God? Like, who is what God is? Azariah means the Lord helps. The Lord helps. Now, they're Babylonian names. Let me explain what those mean. The Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, that was given to Daniel means Marduk, which is a god of Babylon. Marduk, please protect his life. So now, instead of Daniel trusting in God as his judge, now he has, uh, they're saying, we're telling Marduk to protect your life. Okay? Shadrach, his name now means, or Hananiah has the name Shadrach, his name is Command of Aku, which is another Babylonian god. So now it's, it's shifted, all these names are being shifted from the God of the Hebrews to the gods of the Babylonians. Meshach, um, who is formerly Mishael, his name now is, who is what Aku is? It's just flipped. Who is what God is, now who is what God is? So they're saying, oh, that, that's kind of funny, we're going to put a play on your name, and now we're going to say who is who our God is. It's kind of like this forced theological transition, <laughs> conversion, it's a forced conversion to the gods of the of Babylonians. And then Abednego means servant of Nabul, another god of the Babylonians. So they've got these forced names. They're rebranding. They're trying to change their identity. And I can't help but think, what, what was it like to be those Hebrew boys getting these new names and thinking to themselves, okay, now do we use these new names with each other? But I think because of the way the story plays out, I think that what they did was I think they said, okay, they can call us whatever they want. But we, when we speak to each other, we're going to say, there's Mishael. There is Azariah. There is Daniel. As a way to say, we are resisting this forced assimilation to a new way of living under a new set of gods. They're saying, no, God is the true God. Yahweh is the true God. We will continue to serve faithfully, and we will use our names in private. That's what I'm, I'm imagining but I think that because of the way the story plays out, it shows that they were not assimilating in every way to the culture that was being put on them. And this, this kind of name question, how do we call each other, it's part of a larger question, which is, how do we live faithful to God in the midst of our exile? How do we keep our faith and identity of, as God's people in the midst of the grief of exile and the forced assimilation? They had to be asking questions like, how long are we going to be here and what should our posture be towards this Babylonian captivity? And these are questions that I still think we need to be asking today. We need to be thinking, how do we live faithfully as exiles? 
We need to be seeking a better country, a heavenly one. So while we still live in this sin-stained world, how do we uh, identify ourselves in this world systems and not, not adapt or be assimilated into this world systems, but be sure of our identity as people of God? How do we strive to live faithful lives to God in the midst of this broken place, this foreign place? Well, thankfully, we have more words from the Lord to be able to show us how they responded. The word of the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah again to give them some guidance to God's people in Babylon. So Jeremiah wrote a letter and sent it to the people who had been exiled. He'd been telling them, you're going into exile, and then when they go, then he says, okay, now I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to tell you how to respond as God's people there. So this comes from Jeremiah 29, verse 1, um, and I'm going to read one verse 1 and then 4 through 7. And it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is the words of the letter, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ready for this? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Wow. That's quite a proclamation. Build houses and gardens, settle down, build a family, seek the welfare of the city, pray for it, because your good is intimately connected to the good of the city. That's a, it's almost a painful thing to think about how do I wish good for my neighbors here in the midst of this foreign land when I have been conscripted into service, when I have been forced into assimilation. It's a hard question. And this is a question we still need to be asking today. This could be a word for us. And I believe that you guys as a church have adapted this as a word for yourself. You have chosen to either remain or relocate here in this community, in the 48214, to consistently love your neighbors, to seek the good of the communities that you're in. And despite the ways in which you'd be tempted to just succumb to the pressures of this world, you are settling down in this neighborhood. You're praying for it and striving to seek the welfare of this great city of Detroit. When the world is inviting you, tempting you to climb the ladder of greed and self-glorification, you instead are sacrificing on behalf of your neighbors and living out your true names as people of God. So I want to say to you today, keep going. Keep living into that vision that God has given you for your church. Be encouraged. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. But it's hard. It's not easy. And it doesn't really make sense on face value sometimes. It seems like the world doesn't even want this kind of uh, relationship with the church, with the people of God. Right? It's, it's not at all advantageous. It's con in conflict, right? But it seems to me from the book of Daniel that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah took this as a word from the Lord and they said, okay, we're going to do this. So they were like, okay, we'll stay in the program, the king's program. We're going to continue on in this. And they were ready to serve as the Lord had gotten them ready to serve. But 
that did not mean that they were going to assimilate to the ways of the Babylonians. They were not going to totally take on everything, the patterns. They were saying, you can give us the names of the empire, but we will not act out of that new name. We will act out of our true identity as people of God. Let's see how this plays out. Verse 8. But Daniel, this is back in, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Okay, this may seem a little strange to us, but the, this food that was offered to him was probably offered to idols at the same time. So it was offered here, thank you, Lord God, Aku, for this food, right? Or something like that. Or it could have been ceremonially unclean animals that were used in the preparation, or it could have been the, the preparation methods. Whatever it was, it was not kosher for sure. And Daniel says, I will not take this food. I will, I will resist and I will not take this food. Verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So Daniel has favor and compassion with this guy, and he's actually engaging in a conversation. Please, the guy's like, wait, you don't understand. I'm going to lose my head if this goes wrong, right? But Daniel had favor and compassion in some way from this guy, and I think it's because of his posture towards the city. He was not antagonistic. He was like, no, we're, I'm about doing what's good for the whole kingdom. I'm going to continue to serve. I'm going to do my job, but please don't force me to do this. Verse 11, Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. These young Hebrew boys lived with integrity and faithfulness, and they added to that boldness and creativity. They're like, okay, how are we going to get around this? Well, let's trust God and let's just believe that we can resist this way of life and God will meet us in the midst of it. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Surprise, God showed up. They showed their faithfulness to God and they said, this is what we're going to do. God makes them look better, more physically fit. They were able to do the job. And so God meets them in the midst of their submission and honors their faithfulness. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Isn't that fantastic? They become the best of the best. 
They rise above all their Babylonian counterparts. They are the faithful ones, remaining true to their faith, not being uh, assimilated into the culture, but they are the wisest, most adept leaders in all the land. Every matter of wisdom and understanding. This is a beautiful picture of life living faithfully in the midst of exile. And if you read the book, the rest of the book, which I hope I've enticed you into reading the rest of this story, they get more chances to live out faithfully in the midst of the forcible kingdom pressure and even get faced with death. Each of them will get faced with death because of their faith in God. We have brothers and sisters around the world in 2021 who are facing death because of their faith in God. Now, we don't have that here right now, but I think it's still worth considering how do we live in exile faithfully? How do we view ourselves even now as living in exile? And the questions about our own temptation to assimilate are still very real in this country. Like, for instance, in what ways have we given up the ways of the Lord and adopted the patterns of this world? What ways have we given up the ways of God and adopted the patterns of this world? Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? There's this call world, and yet we do, in big ways and small ways. Another question is, how have we assumed that our faith is compatible with the ways of this world when it really is not? How are ways that we assume that our faith is compatible when in reality it's not? I'll tell on myself here, uh, I often fall into patterns of this world by seeking my own glory. I want people to remember my name. I want to make my name great. I want to build my own kingdom. I want people to say great things about my kingdom. I want to protect my reputation, manage my image, rather than coming clean about my own shortfalls and insecurities. My family can tell you about that. By seeking to build my own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God, I'm taking on the patterns of this world. This world is about building your own individual kingdoms, building your celebrity culture, bringing people in behind you. That's what this world is, and I succumb to that. I fall uh, prey to that temptation. I'm sure you could tell your own story about the ways in which you have fallen into the patterns of this world rather than the ways of God. None of us is exempt from this. We all are in a position where we need someone to save us from ourselves and from our own sinful desires. But thankfully, God has made a way. Daniel got a glimpse of this in a prophetic vision in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is what Daniel saw in his vision, and he described. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. Daniel had a vision of Jesus, the Son of Man. When Jesus came to earth, he loved to use this term, Son of Man. He was identifying with this pattern, and Daniel had a vision of it, the Son of Man, the ultimate exile. You see fit? Jesus was set in heaven. He was present with God. He, the Trinity it was a beautiful community 
in itself of love, self-sacrificing love. And Jesus left heaven, left his home to come to earth to be in exile with us, living away from his native country, compelled by his love for us. He wanted to be with us, to show us how to live as exiles in this world. And ultimately, Daniel, uh, Azariah, Mishael, they did not give their lives to the Babylonian captivity, but Jesus willingly sacrificed his life in exile for us on our behalf. Thanks be to God. And this vision, this vision that uh, Daniel has of this Son of Man coming, that's our true home, the kingdom of Jesus. That's our true home, the, uh, the place where Jesus reigns, over, has dominion and glory and, uh, over all nations and languages who serve and worship him. It's an eternal and indestructible kingdom of love, justice, and peace. This is the kingdom that we want to belong to. That's the kingdom that we're longing for in the midst of being in exile here. That's our true home in the kingdom of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who says to us, I'm making all things new. And Jesus is the one who says to us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus knows what it's like to live as an exile. He knows the struggle. He knows the pains. But he has overcome the world. And he's inviting us to follow him in living in his kingdom even now while we're exiled in this sin-sick world. By his grace and spirit, we can be a demonstration of the beauty, love, and peace of his new kingdom here and now. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we bless you. We praise you for who you are, for your willingness to come and be an exile in our land amongst these people, ourselves, who you created but have turned our hearts away from you. Thank you for coming to love us, to show us the full extent of your love by sacrificing your life for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you show us the ways in which we have assimilated into the ways of the world? Would you convict us of those and then help us walk by your spirit in faithful living, in obedience to your word? Thank you for your love. Amen.